plenty to praise God for. I just wanted to share before we get into our time of, of pastoral prayer, uh, just a little bit about what's happening in Alpha at the moment. We've had uh, three weeks of Alpha so far, and it has been exciting. It's been really exciting to make new friends. We've had about 20 people averaging our, on our Alpha um, with some wonderful meals. It's always good to start with a meal, isn't it? We have a wonderful meal and, and some chats. Uh, but our, our discussions about um, who Jesus is about um, why did Jesus die have been really fruitful and really beneficial for, well, for me as a, as a leader there, but also for, for those who have just been discussing. It's great to see our friend Tom. We've met Tom over Alpha. It's great to see you here this morning, Tom, and, um, and bring your daughter along. It's fantastic. So get to know Tom. Um, he's part of our Alpha group, and we're having a great time and um, enjoying that space. So be praying for, for Alpha. It is a, a really a really awesome spot to be. Our, our group that meets on a Wednesday night out in Baronia um, have been interacting with people that are coming along as well. So it is a really good space. We've got a lot to praise God for um, over this, this time. So why don't we come uh, to a time of prayer as we think about those sort of things. So Lord, as we come to this beautiful morning, we come with hearts filled of gratitude. We give you thanks and praise that you are God and that we are not, <laughs> that you are Lord of our lives, that as we uh, rest in you, as we gather together as your people, that we can praise you, that we can sing of how great you are, the hope that we have in and through you. God, your love and your wisdom is beyond what we can imagine. Your plans for us are always good. But God, we also know that we are human, that we are frail, and that we sometimes struggle. We sometimes struggle to do what you would like us to do. And for those things, we ask for forgiveness when we've chosen to go our own way. We've walked away from you and gone our way. We ask that you forgive us this morning. Lord, help us to listen to you. Help us to seek your voice. Help us to walk in step with you on a daily basis. May we submit to you. May we find joy and excitement in being obedient to you, knowing that you are leading and directing us through our conversations, through our actions. Thank you for all the relationships that we bump into throughout this week. We ask, Lord Jesus, that as we as we touch base as we connect with people who may not know you. May they start to see your light shining in and through each and every one of us. Lord, this morning we pray for those who are frail. We pray for those who are ill or those that are going through real hard times. Lord, we ask that you strengthen them in their time of need. May you bring them hope when life is tough. Lord, we pray for those who are not able to make it to church for whatever reason at the moment. We thank you for the blessing of having church online. And we pray for all of those who are watching now online, that, Lord, that you will continue to speak in and through the opportunity they have to be part of Kilsai South Baptist Church. Lord, we pray for the people here this morning at Kilsyth South Baptist Church and all those who we connect with. We thank you for this church and the blessing it is to so many people. As we seek to, to share Jesus and to continue to build bridges into our community, we give you thanks for the provision of the Two Sparrows coffee van. 
We thank you for the Wednesday night team who bring hope to those around Baronia. We give you thanks for the opportunity that we've had to go into the, the Basin Primary School last week. We give thanks for the opportunities to get into Gladesville Primary School this week. We thank you for Keely, who is our Two Sparrows manager, as she seeks further opportunities to interact with the community around us. God, we thank you for these great opportunities to be in our community. We thank you for, for Alpha and uh, for all those who have been coming along. We thank you for the new friendships that we've created already. We ask that you continue to speak in and through Alpha. And we pray for the people of KSBC that we may have a faith that continues to move beyond Sunday. As we go about our daily lives, may your spirit empower us to walk in obedience, even when it's challenging, even when it's unpopular. May we be a light for those around us, showing your love and grace through our actions and our attitudes. And Lord, as Jordan comes to speak in a little while, we pray that you fill him with your spirit. May he speak the words that you've given him to speak, that we may be encouraged uh, to walk in your ways further. We ask all this in the loving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite Rod Ford. He's going to share our Bible reading with us. Good morning. Very excited to be able to read God's Word with you today. We are reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we'll be reading the whole chapter. And I'll be reading from the NIV version, and excuse me if I pace a little bit. That's just how I roll. <laughs> so here we go. Israel asked for a king. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways? Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing this to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. 
He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they shouted, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Rod. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be sharing about the story of Saul with you this morning. Um, If you've got your Bibles there, please keep your finger in it in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're going to move through the next couple of chapters this morning. Um, But before we do, um, hands up if you have seen the musical Hamilton. I know it's been quite popular. I think... Kate here, who's worship leading for us this morning, has seen it over five times. Is that correct? Three. Okay, I was a little bit off, but that's still a lot. That is still a lot. It's a very. It's been quite popular. Anyway, it's a story that covers the American founding father Alexander Hamilton, who's a, the musical's obviously named after. I just learned about this, and his political involvement in the American Revolution. One character called Aaron Burr. He's climbing to more powerful positions and he eventually makes it to the Senate. And he gives this advice to Hamilton. He says, talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. He's giving advice here how to get people to like you. Talk less, smile more. How to, how to climb the ranks of power and position. See, people can't disagree with you when they don't really know where you stand. And Aaron Burgess recognizes that, that he can't simply win everyone's approval. And, you know, we know this to be true. How often do we actually share our opinions on things? You know, in this polarized political culture, we could be a target of hate just for having a different point of view. And it's not a bad thing to want people to like us. No one wants to be hated, of course. But when our identity is relying on other people's perception of you, when we crave it, when we work for it, when it dictates our mood, then our desire to please other people and to have other people to like us, it actually controls us. It enslaves us. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Do you find yourself weighed down with the opinions of others? Unhealthily fixated on what other people are thinking about you? Do you ruminate on the thoughts? Does it invade your mind? 
Does the way you live demonstrate that you live to please other people? You know, instead of thinking this is something actually I want to do or I want to wear or I want to be a part of, you're actually thinking about impressing others. I'll do that, wear that, be a part of that cause because I'm concerned about how it will reflect on me, how it will impact my perception of others, to others. Do you find yourself overly sensitive, maybe, to when you're rejected or disproved of? Does it shatter you? Or do you work really hard to cultivate this reputation? Cultivate a, a reputation that an image of success, of desirability, popularity, luxury. Do you strive for recon, uh, recognition from others? Even when you want to do something nice for someone sometimes, is your motivation actually about how it makes you look? And what that person will think of you. So where are you on the scale of people pleasing? Maybe you're down here, one. Or maybe you're up here and you're a full-blown, raging people pleaser. This morning, I hope we can get to the root of people pleasing. As, God wo- as God's word illuminates the desires and thoughts and feelings of our hearts and our minds. And so this morning we are looking at King Saul. He's the first king of Israel, but he is also a king of being a people pleaser. So let's look into his story, and which we can follow in the book of 1 Samuel. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, as we go through this uh, series, the story, uh, the Israelites have crossed into the Jordan, into the promised land. They had not fully taken all the land, And after Moses and and Joshua's leading, we had the judges. And we see that the leaders of Israel have made a real mess of it. And now the prophet Samuel, his kids are the judges, but still nothing has changed. So we come to uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, and in verse 3, as Rod read out, Samuel's sons were the judges, but they were not following God's ways. The 12 tribes were still disunified and under pressure from the Philistines and other nations. And so the people cry out for a king, for them to rally behind. You know, verse 5, they just want to be like everyone else. They look at the nations around them. They have kings. They seem to be doing well for themselves. We need a real king so we can be a real nation. But they don't realize they already have a king, God. And this is God speaking to them in, uh, in 8 verse 7. They have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel warns the people of what it's going to be like to have a king. It's not going to be good. He's going to tax you. He's going to make you work and serve himself. We will see This fully come to fruition when Solomon comes king in in a few generations later. Either way, an earthly king isn't going to be good. But God relents and just gives them what they want. So that brings us to chapter 9, where we're introduced to Saul. And he is handsome. He is literally a head taller than everybody else. Saul is, is, is out looking 
for his father's lost donkeys. And his servant tells him, maybe to find these donkeys, maybe we need to go find a prophet, this prophet who was Samuel, and he will know where our donkeys are. So they go and find him, and, and during this time, God tells Samuel, Samuel that Saul will be the king who will be anointed. He needs to anoint. And so Samuel tells him, your donkeys have been found. Don't be concerned with the donkeys, because you're going to be the hope of Israel. And, and chapter 9, verse 21, with, he, he replies, Saul replies with, I'm a Benjamite. I'm the smallest tribe from it the least of all the clans. Saul says, why are you talking? Why am I going to be the hope of all Israel when I am the nobody of the nobodies? Samuel takes Saul to a walk outside the city and there tells him the word of the Lord. Samuel anoints him with oil and tells him who he will be. You will be king. And some time passes and and Saul isn't quite recognized as king yet. But he's being told by Samuel that God has chosen him. And so, to recognize the new king, the tribes of Israel gather together. But Saul has been anointed in secret here. The the tribes gather together to decide the new king. And they cast lots. It lands on the tribe of Benjamin. The lot uh, lands on the clan of the Metrites. And then the lot lands on Saul, and they're looking around. Okay, Saul's going to be, this guy called Saul's going to be a new king, but where is he? They look around for him. But let's read verse 1 Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 10, 21 to 24. When they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? Is he even here? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies, or other translations say the baggage. And they ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the the people shouted, long live the king. You see what's going on here? Saul has already known that he has been chosen to be king. And so when it's his time to step into his kingship, he hides. He's literally hiding among the baggage, the supplies. He already knows it's going to be him, but he hides. He's hiding from his calling. He was too worried about what everyone else was thinking, too worried about the spotlight being on him. Samuel gives us an insight into the state of how Saul sees himself later in chapter 15. He says, Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. See, Saul sees himself as small. He sees himself small compared to everybody else. The irony here is that he is literally a head taller than everyone else. But he sees himself as small. He's hiding away from the sight of others, hiding from the call of God, refusing to step into the position of influence that God has called him into. It's not humility. It might look like it, but it's not humility. 
This is false humility. Saul sees himself as lesser than everyone else. You know, for him, it's expected he would. He comes from the tribe with the least respect. And from within that tribe, the clan with the least reputation. But he's let society define his value. So that society define his capability and to define who he is rather than God. So I wonder, have you been hiding from God's calling in your life? I couldn't possibly step into that. I, I couldn't do it. And we see ourselves as too small. But this isn't humility. See, humility is not to think less of yourself. By comparing ourselves to others and, and putting yourself at the lowest rung, by hiding in the baggage. When you see yourself as small and compare yourself to others you, and you see others as big, look at what they're doing. They're so much better at that than me. I could never take part in that. This is false humility. Humility is to not think less of yourself, but instead... It's to think of yourself less. Where you're less preoccupied with yourself. You're not always bringing the conversation to be about you. It's not about you anymore. This is where you are small, but not in comparison to others. You are small in comparison to God who is big. That is true humility. I've heard uh, quite a number of uh, conspiracy theories about the Egyptian pyramids. There's often questions, how possibly could they be made? You know, what were they used for? And a classic theory is that they were built by aliens. They were docking stations for alien ships or, or something like this, as you can see on the screen. The pyramids as they are, they do not convince me of this theory. But... If they looked like this next picture, that would convince me. If they were upside down, I'd be, yeah, maybe aliens did uh, make those. Um, because that would convince me because, like, that's physically impossible. It, they can't exist upside down. It would crumble under the weight, under the pressure of its base. False humility is like this. False humility is where what is big, the base, is actually small. And what is small, the top, is actually big. It's like an upside-down pyramid. It's going to collapse under the weight of other people's opinions. We have made the big things small, and the things that should be small, big. And God should be big in our lives. He should be the base. And the opinions of others... And even the opinions of ourselves should be small. So who and what is big in your world? Not just intellectually or theologically, but by the way that you live your life. Is God big or is God small? If you don't want to be a people pleaser, then you need to view God as bigger than the opinions of others. 
You know, who are the people in your life that you have made big? That their opinion of you is critically important to maintain. How much do you value your reputation? How much effort and and work do you put into cultivating it and curating it? It's exhausting. How much do you get caught up in your own head, overthinking, catastrophizing, condemning yourself? If you want God to be big, these things must be dethroned first. And the next part of Saul's story is going to help us understand how to do that. So back to Saul's story. Saul is king, reluctantly, obviously, at first, but he eventually he reunites the people, and they continue to take more of the land God has commanded them to do. Saul summons an army. We're looking at, at we're up to uh, chapter 13 of first, Saul, uh, first Samuel. Saul summons an army, and he defeats this Philistine outpost. And the Philistines, quite understandably, are not too happy about this. So the Philistines get, summon a way bigger army. That is, way better armed, and they're going to march out and just squash them. But many of Saul's men desert him. Because they say, we can't win this battle. They are better equipped. They are bigger. We're not going to win. So they bail. And so Saul and about 600 others hide and wait for Samuel in this place called Gilgal. God, through Samuel, told him to wait until Samuel is there to perform the proper sacrifice before they go into battle. Saul waits and waits But Samuel doesn't seem to show. And so right at the very moment when Samuel should have needed to be there, he goes ahead with the sacrifice anyway. Samuel only arrives slightly late. But he doesn't listen. We'll read in uh, 1 Samuel 13, 11 to 12. Samuel gets there and sees the sacrifice already performed. He says, what have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Saul is under pressure here. A huge army is about to attack him, and his army is deserting him as they wait. So Saul just gets the sacrifice done so he can get God's blessing to fight the battle and win. But he refuses to submit to God's instructions here. The prophet Samuel spoke and acted on behalf of God. And so by Saul doing the sacrifice, he overrules and ignores God's instructions. Doing this sacrifice, it looks like good religion. He's doing the sacrifices, right? It looks, to us, it looks trivial. It looks like devotion. But the motivation is wrong. He wants to use God. He wants to get God's blessing so that he can win the battle. He feared the Philistines more than he feared God. He blatantly ignores God's instructions. Saul doesn't want to lose in battle. He doesn't want more of his army to bail on him. A sacrifice would have boosted everyone's morale and would show that they have God's favour. 
Do we fear people more than we fear God? Do we see God's instruction simply as an option? Do we use our religious devotion as an attempt to get God to do what we want Him to do? When the pressure mounts, people-pleasers will try to manipulate the situation so that the outcome is favourable to them. Either by thinking they know better than God, or through empty religious devotion. To the people pleaser, God's instruction is optional. To the people pleaser, they can just manipulate the situation to make them look good, to to, to get them out of a problem, ultimately manipulating the situation to have a favorable outcome. Almost like this chameleon, blending into its surroundings, constantly changing. You know, like the advice to Hamilton, not really standing for anything, unable to be nailed down, anchorless. Ephesians 4.14 says this in regards to spiritual maturity. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The Greek word here is the same, the Greek words here are the same in Luke 8:24, where Jesus is asleep in the boat, and a storm comes, and the waters and the winds are raging against this boat, and the disciples are freaking out. They say, "Master, master, we're going to drown." And Jesus speaks to the winds and the waves and calms the storm. But you get this picture here in Ephesians that there is this boat that is at the mercy of the elements. The wind and the waves are too strong for the boat to stay coarse. It's just getting thrown around, battered around. Paul is talking about being built up being mature enough to the point where we're able to hold on to God's instruction despite the voices pushing and pulling us, trying to get us off course. Those things will not be strong enough to get us off course. But people pleasers are ankleless, rudderless, tossed back and forth by the pressures of other people by their craftiness and deceit. So how are we not swayed with every opinion? How are we not bound to curating our reputation? Let's keep reading in verse uh, 15 of Ephesians 4. tells us how, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. How do we do it? Speaking the truth in love. Tell the truth even though it might not paint us in a good light. Telling the truth even though the outcome might not work out in our favour. Telling the truth even though it might not be what the person wants to hear. People pleasing is ultimately deceptive. And so we need to combat that with the truth. But it's also truth in love, notice that. We need to speak it in love. 
This means that we can't just unload on someone or manipulate someone or trash talk someone in the name that it is true. No, that's still a people pleaser move because the person you're trying to please is just you. So let's skip a few verses of Ephesians 4, verse 29. It's a favorite verse of mine. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. No unwholesome talk. Not a word. Not even if it's true. There's no caveat there. No unwholesome worth, except unless it's true, then, yeah, maybe. No. Unless it is beneficial, unless it builds up those that hear. You know, this can be in a a form of a rebuke, but it's for the building up of others not tearing them down. You know, how do you tell the difference? Because sometimes these words can be hard to hear. The difference is this, that you have a genuine vision for who that person can become. You have a genuine vision and love for them. That's the difference between a hard word that is going to tear them down and a hard word that is going to be building them up. So, all our words all of our words should be used for the helping of others come into maturity. So how do we use our words? At home with your family, with your friends, at work, in church meetings or church gatherings. How do we use our words? Is it for the building up of others for each other? building up of others into maturity. See, people pleasers ignore God's instructions. They are tossed to and fro in the waves and winds of what other people say, and they lack maturity in the faith. They run from speaking the truth in love in order to save face, in order to manipulate the situation so that the outcome favours them. Let's look at one more story of Saul. In chapter 15, 1 Samuel. And it's Saul's last straw. He shows that he is not fit to be king. God, through Samuel, has given Saul specific instructions to bring, to bring judgment upon a tribe, the Amalekites. They were this nomadic tribe who was truly wicked. And Saul kills everyone but keeps the king alive and keeps the best stuff to sacrifice later. God had asked for complete destruction. And Saul, again, thought he knew better. Unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to get into questions around such instructions. Saul, but Saul didn't have humanitarian motives here when he let the king live. We shouldn't bring our modern perspective, our modern ideas into this. He had no moral objection to this, as we possibly would now. And so Samuel confronts him. We're going to read from Samuel 15, uh, 18 to 21. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, 
I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission and that the Lord sent me. I have bought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. See what's going on here? Saul tries to justify himself. I did obey. I did the mission you asked. But then Saul tries to deflect blame and blame the people. He tries to maintain his own reputation. I know you said this, but the people wanted this. The people wanted to make a sacrifice. I know you said this, but look, I have the king now. You know, we could use him for political or financial gain. It's not what God wanted. God wanted obedience. But Saul was arrogant. Saul's half obedience was not obedience. God gives us instructions. And if he is the Lord of our lives, then we should be living a life that's in submission to him. When God prompts us, do we listen or do we give half obedience? You know, it might look like this. I know, God, you prompted me to pray for a friend who's doing it tough, but I, that's uncomfortable, so I'm just going to pray in my head for them. It's half obedience. I know, God, you prompted me to be generous in this specific way, but that makes me, oh, I'm not sure about that. So I feel better if I gave this instead. That's half obedience. You know, in order to make ourselves feel better, we're, quickly, we're quick to justify our own half obedience. I was too tired. I was provoked. I've just, I've just had enough. They made me do it. It's, or it's just the way I am. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And we just try to justify our own half obedience. Deflection and not taking responsibility is straight out of the people-pleaser playbook. Samuel doesn't take Saul's lip service, though, and he rightfully rips into him. And we read this in 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. God doesn't care for his empty religious practices. He wants obedience, and Saul's half-obedience was rebellious and arrogant. Let's look at verse 23 there. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. Divination is witchcraft. Saying that half obedience is like going to see a psychic or using tarot cards or horoscopes. Verse 23, still, arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Half obedience is like setting a Buddha up in your home to give you inner peace. Or it's like going to a Hindu temple to make an animal sacrifice to pacify a deity. Half obedience is no obedience at all. It's arrogant and it's rebellious. And it's serious enough 
to reject Saul as king. What does God value in our worship of him? It's not about what we sacrifice. It's about our obedience. And sometimes obedience will require sacrifice, but we mustn't confuse them for one in the same. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing either. Jesus says in John 14, 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. God wants obedience. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. How close are you following Jesus right now? Are we naive enough to think that God is going to continue to overlook our sins if we just keep offering sacrifices, if we just be the good Christian, just do all the right things? Samuel makes it clear it's not about that. It's not about your church attendance or how much you serve or how much you look like you've got it all together. It's not about your religious practices. It's not about that. It's about listening to the voice of God and following through with his instructions. Just like a relationship between a parent and a child, obedience is not in contradiction with relationship. I highly doubt that any of you parents here this morning would be indifferent to you if your, chi- if your child told you that they don't have to listen to you because they have relationship with you. There is no chance that I would cop that from my kids The fact that we have relationship with God actually makes it more frustrating. You know, when my kids don't listen to me and I have relationship with them, it makes it more frustrating, not less. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't have to listen to God because I have relationship with him. That doesn't work like that with our kids, and it doesn't work like that with God. And so God rejects Saul as king. And later he says he regrets making Saul king. And he wants a king who is after his own heart, alluding to David, which we'll look at next week. And when Saul gets the, the spiritual smackdown, he says in 1 Samuel 15, 24, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. For I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, God was small. He finally realizes he he listened to the other to the people. He feared the people. The people were big. He had no fear of God. God was his savior to save him from the Philistines, yes. But God was not his Lord, was not his king. His people-pleasing was a barrier to his calling, and it prevented him from obeying God's voice. I'd like to invite the band to come up as I, I close with this. If you have identified that people-pleasing is an issue for you, I hope you've been able to take away three things. The first is that God has to be king. You need to dethrone the people whose opinions are crushing you because false humility 
is not real humility. And number two is, is it's time to be truth speakers and in love. To stop deflecting blame onto others. And we've got to own up to our own shortcomings and not worry about how it reflects on us. Number three is that rather than thinking we've got it all figured out, we just need to listen to God's instructions and follow through with what he asks. But ultimately, we need to be repentant. Saul was remorseful. He'd been caught out, and he felt bad about it. He realized his error, but he did not repent. He did not turn away from his sin and turn and come towards God. If God has been speaking to you this morning, don't just feel sorry about it. Come to Jesus. Bring it to him. Because in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are set free from the opinions of others and set free from our need for validation and people-pleasing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our saviour, that you died upon the cross in our place for our sin so that we might have uh, relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you are also our king. Help us to grow in maturity, not thrown around in the wind and the waves. But Lord, may we be anchored in you and in your truth. Lord, help us to submit to you, to your instruction. Help us to humble ourselves. Because God, you are God. And we see you as big. Lord, may you be ever increasing our, 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 the bigness in, in our lives. May we continue to see you bigger and bigger, more magnificent, more glorious, more worthy of praise and honour each and every day. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jordan, for that message today. Um, please stand with us. We're going to sing a final song which talks about how we can build our life on that firm foundation, which is God's truth, and not be shaken by the ways of the world. So let's sing that together. God, we declare this morning that you are our God, that nothing else in all creation, not even ourselves or the opinions of others, can, can get in the way of your love. Thank you that you are our firm foundation, Lord Jesus. Our benediction comes from Galatians 1.10, which says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As you go into this week, church, remember who it is you serve, our Saviour and our King, Lord Jesus, go in peace and grace. Have a great week, everybody.